G'day everyone, this is Lisa Testart and you're here for another episode of Surviving the Legal System with a Psychopath in Australia. Now, we have a family law system that is no-fault jurisdiction and pretty much each party bears its own costs, same as we do in BCAP, which is the Victorian Civil and Administrative Tribunal. So if everyone is bearing their own costs, why, are there so, why is there so much um, chit-chat about cost orders? And why is costs such a hot topic in family law proceedings? Well, although it's built on the principle of each party bears their own costs, there are exceptions and family law is no different. So while it is a jurisdiction of each party bears their own costs, blah, 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 um, you can apply for a costs order if, say, a party makes um, a wholly unsuccessful and without merit application in a case, for instance, or they file a contravention application and it's wholly without merit and it fails um, dismally. Um, so they're the, they're the cost orders that can happen during proceedings, but sometimes there are costs cases where the party is asking for all of the costs of their proceedings or part of their proceedings to be paid. Now, there's really only one way that you can do that. I mean, you can, uh, uh, let me walk back from that. There's probably two ways. Um, you could make a costs application, and, I've, and I have seen this, I have seen this get up, um, so I should apologise for saying that there was only one. Um, if your case is wholly without merit, absolutely without merit, and you are the primary reason why the case continues, um, to judgment, I might add, then you can be found to be a party at fault for um, litigating a case that had no merit and ought to have settled. Now, it has to be pretty extreme circumstances and, you know, I've seen it get up, so it happens. The more usual way that a party wins a costs application after their case is finished is with what's called a colder bank offer. Now, bear with me because a colder bank offer has certain elements and aspects to it. So it is, as we as I talked about in the earlier podcast about without prejudice, and if you go back to the costs one and listen to that and the without prejudice, the Cold bank offer is has to have a heading that says without prejudice, save as to costs. Now that means that it's an offer to settle without prejudice. So it carries that privilege that we talked about earlier about how you can't use settlement documents in court. Except when it says save as to costs. That means that if an application is made for costs, this document will be used 
whatever it is, and it will be used in any application for costs relating to this. So Calderbank, what does that mean? Well, Calderbank comes from an old English Court of Appeal case, Calder, it was Mr. Calder Bank and Mrs. Calder Bank. One of them put an offer to the other that was rejected. When it went to judgment and the decision was handed down, the party that rejected the offer didn't get um, a result that was better than the offer. So this case set out parameters or elements that must be in a case in order for it to be um, considered what's now called a Calder Bank offer. And this is um, how shorthand develops in legal cases. Because you've heard me, we've talked about family violence being a canon matter. You've got the podcast about Rice and Aspland. These are cases, these are precedent cases that become case law. They become the rules within which um, things are run, things are done in particular ways. There are many, many other cases in Australian law that serve the same purpose and they provide markers and guideposts for lawyers and barristers and the judicial system um, for the making of decisions. So that's a little bit of background as to how Calderbank came up. So if your Calderbank offer is rejected and the outcome is that the other party failed to get a more favourable outcome than the settlement offer they rejected, then costs can be applied for against them. And this is important. It's from the date of the offer to the date of judgment. People make the mistake of thinking a Calderbank offer is for costs of the entire case. That's not correct. It's for costs from the date of the offer to the date of judgment being handed down. That's an important thing to note and not many people realise that. So I wanted to make sure that you, my very valuable listener, had information that you might not normally get. So there are four elements that a Calder Bank offer must contain. We're going to run through them. Um, while a Calder Bank offer can certainly be oral, my recommendation is that it be in writing and it be a letter. You can do it in an email, but we all know that emails get lost. Actually, documents get lost. doesn't matter how you do it. So long as it is a standalone document, or email that doesn't contain any other conversation or discussion that you might be having. So, number one, your letter or document or email must state clearly without prejudice save as to costs. Point two, it must be so clear and concise in what it says and describes that your offer and how it is to be applied and how it is to be accepted cannot be misinterpreted. It should, be, it should not be so vague as to be um, open to interpretation. It must, and point three, it must state the time frame of the offer 
and should, for those who want to be cautious and prudent, give sufficient time for the offer to be genuinely considered. It must be reasonable with a time frame that um, is prudent. And number four, you must state that the offer is in accordance with the principles in the decision of Calder Bank and Calder Bank and that the offerer reserves its rights to tender the offer on an application for costs if the offer is rejected. So there's some legal principles for how you can apply for costs at the end of your case. Don't fuck it up, readers.